Well, good morning and welcome to this first of the bids program items on autonomous cars. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, we have a presenter from the local um, store in in Chicago area, but he's not in Chicago. He's somewhere in Carolina. So it was, Zoom is wonderful. And he is the store manager. Um, so uh, before that, I want uh, to welcome those that may be joining us internationally because we have people that listen all over. And this session is eligible for CEU, so I will let Erlene give the opening code. The beginning CEU code is 66D, as in Delta, 09. Repeating, 66D, as in Delta, 09. Okay. Um, so without any further delay, I'll just turn it over to, to Colin. Colin Rant, who is the store manager for Tesla. All right. Good morning. And, and thank you, Richard, for, for having me and, and well said about the program uh, Zoom here. It's, uh, it's excellent that there's such a great program out there that we can uh, afford us the opportunity to, uh, to get together like this internationally and, and also the chance for me to, um, to speak about and, and on behalf of the company um, that I work for and, and have since I was actually, uh, since I was 20 years old, um, I, I began with the company at, at a young age and, and shortly, uh, just to give a little bit of background about myself, um, I exited the Marine Corps a little bit more unexpectedly than I, than, uh, than I should have. And, uh, I had enlisted as an, as an aviation mechanic, uh, E1 Alpha Fox aviation Marine Corps, um, and expected to go in and serve some time there. And I actually ended up, uh, sustaining a little bit of an injury. And, and so my plans changed quickly and, and drastically uh, towards the direction of Tesla. And I think if anything, that was God's way of saying, or, or whoever is up North, uh, their way of saying that this is the right path for you to go down. So um, again, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, to Tesla. It's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, I've been very, very thankful and very, and very blessed to have this opportunity to, uh, to work with this beautiful company and, um, you know, really explore and share these products with a, with a really vast audience. So thank you guys for your time this morning. Um, so a little bit of, yeah, that's a little bit of my background. I started with Tesla as a, as a part-time employee in our showroom in Charlotte when we first launched. Um, and so we actually, at the time in the state of North Carolina alone, uh, like many states at Tesla, we battled a little bit with the sales license situation. Not all states are afforded the opportunity to have a sales license um, when it comes to Tesla, um, due to some of the, uh, older regulations around, um, the company being able to actually sell and deliver products direct to the consumer without going through a franchise. And so North Carolina was one of those unique situations where in Raleigh, we had a sales license, but, uh, in Charlotte, we did not. And so it was a really, um, early start and, and a very, um, you know, unexpected way of doing business and, and operating. Um, in a state in which you had two cities, one of which had a sales license and one which did not. So 
I started out on the ground floor and just kind of worked my way um, into into the company and um, and now I'm lucky enough to live in Chicago and and have my own facility and so yeah let's let's just dive straight into the uh, straight into the products and uh, a little bit of information on those um, you know I think to first understand autopilot uh, and what its purpose and and, and how it serves these products uh, that we sell and deliver is to kind of start from the beginning with Roadster and understand Elon's philosophy, which is a little bit more, you know, let's not just build the greatest electric car on earth. Let's not build the most amazing vehicle on earth and the safest vehicle on earth. Um, you know, there was a lot of things that we needed to overcome as a company uh, when you're dealing with a traditional combustion engine vehicle, which, you know, at, at the year 2005, uh, 2003, well, 2003, when the company uh, was founded, and then uh, moving along to 2007, 2008, when um, we actually rolled out the Roadster, it was less focused on trying to just build the best electric car. And it was trying to, um, you know, really, given the previous products that were available on the market that were electric or hybrid vehicles, really build something that was just so truly compelling and so unique and so special. Um, you know, again, not, not trying to, you know, specifically focus on the electric part of it, but to, just to build the best car um, from every aspect, the best storage space, the best safety, the best performance, the best handling, the fastest acceleration. We're, we're very well known, you know, we'll get to the autopilot piece of it here in the full self-drive software, but we're very well known uh, for, for our acceleration. We, uh, we, we truly do, do not sell any slow cars. Um, so, you know, getting into the products, we started with uh, Roadster uh, at a really interesting time in this company's history. Um, 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, throughout the financial crisis, um, that was when we rolled out our first product. And so certainly a very uncertain time as you know, uh, people would consider the, the current times as well, uh, a very uncertain time and um, truly astonishing that we were not just rolling out a high performance electric vehicle, but a high performance electric vehicle that was not necessarily the cheapest vehicle on the market at the time um, during the financial crisis. And the goal uh, with that vehicle was to really show the world that you could have an electric vehicle that was that was beautiful, that was fun to drive, that was exciting, that was um, didn't take the maintenance and the cost associated to run other high performance um, vehicles. Um, so, in a partnership with uh, with Lotus, and uh, for for those of you that are familiar with Lotus, um, they're a brilliant company. Uh, they have fantastic engineers. Uh, we were able to effectively take the Lotus Elise, which is a really pretty looking little little car. Um, lengthen the chassis of the vehicle uh, to, of course, support the, the weight and the design for the battery, which is mounted towards the rear end of that vehicle, the Roadster, the original Roadster, um, and, and get that product uh, launched and going, going down, the, uh, down the road. And they're truly unique. There, were, there was a limited production run of those cars. I believe there's less than 5,000 um, that were ever produced. Um, very unique colors uh, and just a, a really interesting jumpstart to show what electric cars can be and, and what they should be. Um, so we started with the Roadster, we moved on uh, in 2012, uh, we moved on to Model S, which was our first mass production uh, vehicle, which we continued to build 
uh, a further refined version of it uh, today, of course, um, but our first mass production vehicle, which was, uh, again, the Model S, uh, which quite simply just uh, stands for sedan. Uh, it's our four-door sedan, front trunk, rear trunk, as with all of our products. Um, and uh, again, our first mass production vehicle, uh, right before we rolled out and launched Model X, which sort of stands for crossover or um, you know, cross-country SUV, um, that vehicle, uh, along with S, the, the concept there was to build something mass market. Um, these were uh, a little bit higher on the price range and, and the goal there being to generate the, the profit and the, uh, and the revenue to really expand into the market and build a vehicle that's much more affordable. And so we move into the current time. Um, in 2018, we launched Model 3. And then, uh, of course, this year in 2020, uh, beginning back in May, we launched um, we launched Model Y, which is our most recent uh, product addition to the market. Um, so really from a, from a flagship and, and luxury Model S sedan, luxury flagship um, SUV, the Model X, um, to a more affordable sedan, the Model 3, um, and a more affordable crossover, a little bit smaller version of the Model X, the Model Y. Um, if you're putting those letters together, um, or in this case uh, with the Model 3, uh, there's a little bit of a hidden uh, symbol in there, which, uh, you know, you've got S, 3, X, and Y, which is kind of uh, Elon's uh, backhand joke, I guess you could, for sexy. It's the sexy product lineup. Uh, we were supposed to have Model E. Model 3 was actually supposed to be Model E, but Ford had apparently a trademark on that one already. So we, uh, we had to reverse the three around, or the E, excuse me, for the, uh, for the number three but truly a, a special product lineup and uh, just kind of like looking down the road uh, with autopilot and, and some of the technology that we're working on uh, some of those other future products uh, include the Cybertruck, which is truly uh, everybody's seen that one in the news and, and heard some of the stories and, and seen the videos uh, truly a unique vehicle. And unlike any other pickup truck, anybody is truly used to uh, and, and what we've seen over the, over the decades. Um, so we're very much looking forward to that. Uh, we've got Roadster 2 coming down the road as well, which is going to be the fastest accelerating vehicle ever produced on this planet. Uh, I believe somewhere in the, in the range of zero to 60 in 1.7 to 1.9 seconds. So a sub two second uh, zero to 60 vehicle with uh, 400 plus miles of range uh, and supposedly some sort of rocket boosters or rocket thrusters um, towards the back or below the vehicle to assist in that acceleration. Um, so that's gonna be, that's gonna be something uh, truly unique. And then of course, the other piece about Tesla is it's not, it's not just Tesla motors anymore. Um, you know, we're, we're speaking on behalf of uh, Tesla Inc. And so we're not just a, we're not just a, a vehicle manufacturer anymore. Um, although that is certainly my favorite aspect of the company. Uh, and, and my passion, uh, we're also an energy company as well. So uh, the, the goal is not just to have the electric vehicles and have a, um, you know, a sustainable method of transportation uh, for the consumer, uh, but also there is a very realistic piece of, you know, where does that electricity come from? And as of right now, it's, it's not always sustainable. It's not always clean energy, unfortunately. Um, and so the goal with, you know, Tesla and how we operate as a business now is when you actually open up the Tesla homepage, 
um, you'll see first and foremost, before you even see the vehicles, you'll see a picture of the home uh, with solar panels or a, or a solar roof on top of the home, uh, along with power walls uh, as an as a in-home battery solution. So that somebody that is a Tesla owner or seeking to be a Tesla owner can understand what the full ecosystem looks like. This isn't just about, again, running a, an electric vehicle down the road, but um, creating a sustainable lifestyle for everybody and, and not just for our generation and not just for people that are living in the present day, but for those that are um, going to walk the earth for, for decades and uh, generations to come. So, uh, you know, this way that you can, um, you know, truly generate uh, based on the needs of your home and your vehicle, you can generate your own electricity um, store that in the power wall and use it to power and charge your vehicle overnight, which is just truly phenomenal. Uh, really, really neat. Um, but anyways, you know, really what we came here, of course, to talk about, uh, and I'll try to talk about for the next uh, five to seven minutes or so is, um, is the full self-drive and uh, some of the autonomous hardware that we've included with the vehicles over the years. Um, and now there's been a few different um, a little bit of background about autopilot hardware because it's not just the software on the vehicles. Um, starting with Model S in 2012, 2013, there's been different generations of actual physical autopilot hardware on our vehicles. Um, that autopilot hardware, uh, you know, starting in 2012 uh, throughout 20, towards the end of 2014, um, some of those vehicles did not have um, any level of autopilot hardware. And again, this is, you know, the beginning of mass production Model S um, was not something that we were uh, really in uh, the market to do at that time, uh, just primarily trying to get the electric vehicles on the road. So those, those vehicles did not have autopilot hardware uh, at all. And then moving into end of 2014, uh, end of 2015, we pivoted to our first generation of autopilot hardware. Um, so rightly named Autopilot Hardware 1. And then we, of course, graduated from Autopilot Hardware 1 into 2, and then 2.5, and then the most recent version of Autopilot Hardware, which would be Autopilot Hardware 3. Um, quite simply put, uh, of course, the cars that don't have Autopilot Hardware at all uh, will, never, will never have Autopilot Hardware. Um, cars that have Autopilot Hardware 1 will always have semi-autonomous functionality. So the ability to self-drive down the highway, but nothing truly you know, beyond that. And then any car that is an autopilot hardware two or greater vehicle, so two, 2.5 and three, those cars will have the capability of what, you know, as of course, what they have right now. Um, and then they will have the, the ability to, to be retrofit, um, to upgrade uh, and eventually become full self-driving vehicles. Um, so what's really neat, again, for those cars, you know, which I think is about 2017 or 2018 beyond, um, those cars that have hardware two or greater have some incredible functionality um, that's truly unique to Tesla. Um, you know, so some of those features would include navigate on autopilot, summon, auto park, both parallel and perpendicular, uh, the ability to self park, and then auto lane change. I'm going to circle back to those in a minute. Um, but again, one of the, the other component here, the other half to this, uh, to this system is not just the autopilot hardware, but the ability for all of our vehicles to update over time. Um, so you have to kind of think about our vehicles in the regard of uh, being a computer on wheels per se, which can be a little bit daunting <laughs> for all of us that have had computer, 
technical difficulties in the past, um, but they're truly, they're truly uh, incredible vehicles. Um, they are, uh, they receive software updates over time. Uh, and so once you receive your product, once you bring your Tesla home for the first time, it's, it's not just like adding another member to the family. It's, it's just so much more beyond that. The car continues to get better and better and better over time. So, um, you know, it's the, the software updates. Um, I always fall back on the quote, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's the same thing with the software updates in Tesla. Um, sometimes you can receive one, two, three software updates per month, adding functionality to your vehicle, whether it's a Model Y or a 2015 Model S or, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, if you have the correct hardware to support those updates, those updates are pushed to your vehicle over the air at home. So there's no need to bring the vehicle into the service center. Your, your car just gets better over the air. Um, and so you can choose when you want to install that software update. You get the car, you get inside the vehicle the next morning and shows you all the nice, wonderful features that were added into your vehicle overnight that you now have immediate access to use. Um, so pretty cool there. But jumping back to those autopilot pieces, um, as we kind of start to wrap things up here, um, some of those really neat functionality is we originally started with just traffic aware cruise control, which was the vehicle's ability to maintain distance with a forward facing radar, the vehicle's ability to maintain distance between itself and the vehicles uh, in front of it and bring you down to a complete stop if necessary, uh, effectively drive. Um, and then we added on auto steer, which really completed autopilot. So the ability, the car's ability again to maintain distance between you and the vehicle in front of you, um, in addition to keep you, uh, keeping you centered inside your lane um, going down the road. Uh, so that's, that's effectively autopilot. Now our most recent version of that is called navigate on autopilot. And that's the car's ability to not only, you know, steer itself down a road, whether that be a highway or a, a normal street, uh, but now the ability for the car to actually take an exit. So exit the, um, um, the off-ramp um, of a highway and, and head towards that street. Um, so further making that step forward uh, towards fully um, full self-driving. Another feature uh, is summon, which is really handy. Um, there's kind of two basic functionalities to this feature. Um, the primary is the ability to have the car pull out of a parking space. Uh, so, you know, if you're, if you've ever had that situation in the past where you go in to have a nice dinner, uh, you know, you, you step away from the vehicle, you go into a store and somebody pulls up directly next to you and you just know, as soon as you get back to the car, that there's no way, there's no chance that you're getting inside that vehicle. There's no way you're going to be able to squeeze in between those two cars. You'd be able to pull out your phone or your key fob and simply summon the vehicle out of that parking space forward or backwards. Um, to be able to enter the vehicle uh, more easily. So really nice, also serves as a wonderful parking function for those that have very tight parking spaces, um, especially here in the city of Chicago. Um, and then also most recently, the most enhanced version of Summon, which is the car's ability to um, actually come and pick you up at the uh, front door per se. You know, you, you come out of a mall, you come out of a movie, you come out of whatever it is that you're doing or whatever's going on. Um, and you can actually summon the car to come and pick you up at the front door. Um, so that's, that's a wonderful feature, something that we've updated recently. Uh, moving into the last two features of our current version of autopilot or, or full self-drive um, is auto park. 
auto park uh, can handle both parallel and perpendicular spaces and, and perfectly park your vehicle in between um, uh, within those parameters per se. And then lastly, auto lane change, which is the car's ability when you're using Navigate on autopilot or autopilot, uh, the car's ability to complete a lane change. And probably my most favorite uh, feature to this is that you of course have to use your turn signal as an indicator to tell the vehicle that you want to do a lane change. So once you're in autopilot and using it, um, there's no way to do a lane change without using your turn signal, which of course is to the benefit of all the other drivers um, surrounding you on the road. So um, some great features there. That's currently where we're at as far as uh, the actual software and what the vehicles are capable of doing. Um, that's what's actually on consumer, consumer level vehicles. Uh, we do already have the software and some future software um, features for the car to be fully autonomous, of course, pending federal regulation um, and some state level regulation as well. Um, but what's really neat is again, uh, going back to that autopilot hardware piece is that you've got hardware two, 2.5 and three that are going to be capable of going 100% fully autonomous. And those cars, whether they already have the hardware or need a little bit of additional hardware, um, will have the capability to receive those updates and, uh, and bring smiles and safety to many, many people on the road and many people that will, whether they're the first owner, the second owner, the third owner, will be able to use for, for a long time to come at, at a really, truly affordable price, um, not just upfront, uh, but when it comes to actual cost of ownership and, and driving the vehicle down the road and um, using the vehicle uh, for its intended purpose. Um, so I know I'm a little bit here at time. I went a little bit over uh, two minutes here. Um, wanted to kind of wrap things up with uh, sort of any questions that may be out there. I'll do my best to answer them. Um, of course, again, just keep in mind, I do work for Tesla and, you know, our sister company, SpaceX and Born Company. So um, there are questions that I can and can't answer. Um, but uh, feel free to, um, it, for any questions, I would love to, uh, to wrap up the session here with, uh, with those. Great. Do we have any questions out there? Anybody see any hands? Paul, Paul Hunt. Paul Hunt. Unmuted. You can unmute yourself, Paul. Okay, I got you. Um, Thank you. Two questions. Number one, are, are the consumers able to use these some of these autopilot features today, or are they restricted because of, uh, you know, the road infrastructure and the regulations? And are you guys building accessibility and so blind people can drive for the first time? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, so to answer your, to answer your initial question, um, yes, so those autopilot features, that software that I just mentioned, uh, so navigate on autopilot, summon, auto park, both parallel and perpendicular auto park, um, and auto lane change. Um, those are all features that, let's say you walked into my showroom today and said, hey, I want to take delivery of this Tesla that you got on the showroom floor. Um, you would drive, you'd be able to drive that vehicle straight out onto the road. Um, and after, of course, a little bit of a tutorial uh, that we provide in, in the walkthrough videos that we have online. Uh, it's a very simple feature and functionality to use, but yes, sir, you would be able to absolutely uh, use those features straight away. Um, 
where you start getting into the regulatory piece and uh, in some cases it is state specific. And then of course also um, the federal government has yet to really um, specify very clearly what the future plans look like. Um, but as far as like limitations, there are currently, um, you know, it, it's not to a point where of course you can simply sit back and, and relax per se. Um, you do and we do require and insist that everybody using autopilot keeps their hands on the steering wheel at all times and their eyes on the road. Um, you are still 100% the responsible driver of that vehicle and owner of that vehicle. Um, and anything that happens um, is 100% the driver's responsibility uh, going down the road. Chris, Chris, hi. Hi, uh, hi uh, this is Chris. Uh, first off, just wanted to say happy fourth. And secondly, thank you for your service to the country. Um, so um, is the future of this fully autonomous vehicle no steering wheel or, or any uh, type of, you know, things of that sort? And, and are you familiar with any accessibility um, for any speech feedback or any, anything of that sort? Thank you. Hey, good morning to you, Chris, and uh, happy 4th of July to you as well. Um, so as far as the, there are certain federal, uh, federal, excuse me, uh, regulations that do require some um, features in a vehicle. There's, and some of them are very, very uh, strange. Um, but one of them, uh, of course, naturally, as of right now, with, with most vehicles being um, still maybe even semi-autonomous or not, not having any functionality to that effect at all, um, yeah, the steering wheel, steering wheel, rearview mirrors, um, lights, you know, tail lights being placed on a, a piece of the rear of the vehicle that is not movable. So that's why you can't have a, um, that's why you, you'll never see a tail light um, in the United States on a, on a rear trunk. Um, you know, there are certain regulations that do not allow um, for a company to just go fully, uh, full freestyle, if you will, uh, when it comes to the design. So as of right now, yes, uh, the, the, the steering wheel, of course, will remain. Um, Elon has made some jokes and remarks in the past about uh, taking the rearview mirrors off the vehicle, the external uh, rearview mirrors off the vehicle, um, because, you know, he, <laughs> he always finds a way to try to, to, to work around <laughs> certain things. But, um, you know, he, he kind of jokes that there's a, there's a law that it has to be delivered with the rearview mirrors, but not necessarily that they have to stay on the car. Um, so, you know, we'll see what comes in the future, but as of right now, yeah, the steering wheel will stay on the vehicle. And um, uh, yeah, again, you hundred percent responsible uh, for the vehicle, uh, for the vehicle going down the road. Um, so, you know, future software updates, um, we'll see what happens, you know, we'll see how far the software will go. But I think, you know, we have some fantastic software engineers uh, and engineers in general at Tesla and other companies that are working on, you know, similar projects. I think we'll see some pretty, uh, pretty neat things here in the next uh, couple of years to come. Ray Campbell. Ah, good, good morning. Uh, can everybody, can you hear me? Good morning, Ray. Yes, we can good hear morning. you. Morning. Morning. Uh, uh, fellow Chicagoan here. I actually live out in Glen Ellen. Um, right. Oak Park um, myself. Oh, ah, okay. I go, I go through there on the train when I'm going to work. Uh, when, w back in the day when I actually got to go downtown to work. Um, <laughs> so my question is, uh, what, what is Tesla doing in terms specifically of accessibility features for people who are blind or visually impaired as you're working on your software? Is there, does it, does it talk? Does it, uh, 
have features for people who have low vision? What are some of the things that you're doing in that area, in those areas? Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Chris actually was, I was trying to remember his, the second piece to his question, and I think that kind of ties it together there is some of those, some of those voice functionality features. Um, that's what's cool, right? So I, the way that I like to think about it, I, I can't share any specific information, and there also are, are, are just plain and simple things I don't know and, and, I, and that have yet to be shared with me. Um, but what's, what I always go back to, of course, is the car's actual hardware and, and software capability, which is, again, you've effectively got a supercomputer on wheels. Um, you know, we already had some basic voice functionality, which, of course, is probably on, the, on a similar line as a lot of other vehicles. So, the, you know, you can tell the vehicle to um, call somebody from your contacts list. You can tell the vehicle to navigate to a certain destination. Uh, the navigation built into the vehicle is Google Maps uh, or based upon Google Maps. So what's really nice about that is it's far superior to some of the other traditional manufacturers where you have some sort of a in-house built system that's typically very out of date and very expensive to update uh, when, you're, when you're missing those maps. Um, again, the Tesla has Google Maps. So if you can find it on your cell phone, you can find it inside your Tesla through voice. Um, you know, there's, there's some other functionality there, but we just recently actually updated that functionality to where you can now tell the car to change the temperature, to turn certain heated seats on. Um, and, and it's expanding rapidly and, and very quickly. So, you know, can I say that there's anything specific to, um, to, to the blind? Um, not necessarily as of right now, but I know it's something certainly in mind uh, and, and just for a really vast audience as well. Um, having that functionality. Um, and as we are, are just plainly, you know, a, a generally a very distracted society nowadays, there's a lot of shiny things on the, on the road. There's a lot of shiny things on our cell phones and uh, just the ability to, again, the, the concept here behind autopilot is not necessarily um, the misconception is typically that, Oh, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a Tesla so I can get autopilot and I can sit back in the seat and let the car do the work for me you know, it, it's really, it's more safety oriented than anything else. Uh, that's, that's our key uh, with, with the design of the vehicles, the engineering of the actual, um, the build and the, and the quality of the car is with safety in mind. And autopilot was the same goal, uh, was to keep not just the driver of the vehicle, but everybody else um, around you and their vehicles safe as well. Mitchell. All right. So, um, so going off of that, Going off of that, as you were saying about the fact that we need to keep our eyes on the road, uh, would it be possible in the future to like so not like so to have uh, autopilot, but also to keep us engaged and know what's going on around us, to add some sort of audible to know like where lanes are or something? No, like, that's add. perfect. No, that's perfect, Mitchell. Um, so just to kind of. Just to elaborate on that a little bit, um, I'm actually really glad that you brought that up. So the car actually already does that. So both, um, you know, when you're driving down the road and you're in autopilot, or even when you're moving around in a parking lot, um, the car has 12 ultrasonic sensors um, surrounding the exterior of the vehicle. Um, and what those do is, of course, when you're parking or moving around in a place that has a curb or any sort of other vehicles or any sort of objects that would prevent you uh, from moving your vehicle in any direction, uh, those ultrasonic sensors will kick in um, and give you audible alerts. And the same thing actually happens um, as you're driving down the road. So you have um, both a, 
like a tangible uh, vibration and a feel and a, and a haptic feedback through the through the steering wheel, which actually mimics kind of like what would happen if you rolled over a rumble strip. Um, so you're going to get that feedback through the steering wheel. Um, and then the car will also give you audible alerts, whether it's a forward collision um, alert or some sort of a side collision uh, warning as well. Uh, the car also does have those capabilities to make a maneuver from, um, you know, if you're, if you are mer merging into somebody else's lane or they're merging into yours and there's going to be a possible collision, uh, the car has the capability of making that maneuver and also giving you an audible, um, an audible alert as, as well. Well, I think we we're... Phone number ending in 036. No, we have to go. Um, we're, we're, oh. We're oh. past the, the time that I need to go. To okay, next... we, we need to start the video now. Yes. Um, well, I want to thank Colin for, for coming and uh, giving us a, an idea what we can expect now and what is coming as far as autonomous cars. Uh, it'll be a while before we can have one, but I'm sure if Tesla has anything to do with it, we will have one. So thank you, Colin, for coming. Absolutely, Richard, anytime. And if any of you all have any further questions, um, you're more than welcome to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my first name is Colin. I'm sure Richard will share my information, uh, but my first name is Colin, C-O-L-I-N, and last name is Brandt, B-R-A-N-D-T. Thank you guys again for your time. And the next presentation is a thing that we found on YouTube that from this fellow that uh, uh, was is predicting what's going to happen in terms of autonomous vehicles and that kind of technology. But as you hear this presentation, kind of keep in, in mind how he comes, he uh, arrives at these predictions because his thinking is kind of, kind of a little bit interesting. And uh, with that, um, I'm just gonna go ahead and roll the, the recording. Welcome back to another episode of Net Positive, everybody. I'm extremely excited about today's guest, Tony Seba. He is a serial entrepreneur. A, uh, he's the co-founder of the independent think tank uh, Rethink X and the author of The Clean Disruption of Transportation and Energy. Tony, thank you so much for being oh, with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank, thank you, Sam. Yeah. So we have a lot to cover. It's going to be sort of a shorter episode. Um, so let's just dive right into it. Basically, there's a convergence of technologies that are completely disrupting and reshaping energy and transportation. Yes. So, yes. Um, both energy and transportation, uh, and that's the topic of clean disruption. Essentially, after 10 years of research, uh, what came out of the insight that came out was that, and I'm talking about 2014, so almost six years ago, mm -hmm. um, there are four technologies and one business model innovation, all of which are independently disruptive, uh, but the convergence of these technologies Essentially, I found we're going to wipe out energy and transportation, conventional energy and transportation as we know it, and it's going to be over by 2030. And, and, and that's the insight. That's so this is not just a small over. shift. This is a complete yes. transformation. Major, major transformation. Now, you know, I mean, your, your, um, your, your listeners, 
probably want to know what is a disruption after all. Yeah. Everybody Buzz talks about a disruption, around, yeah. right? Um, so a technology disruption uh, is essentially when a convergence of technologies, and I'll come back to that, makes a product or service possible. And when that product or service happens, mm -hmm. it does two things. One is it creates new markets. So think Uber, it created new markets. And at the same time, or eventually, it either destroys or dramatically transforms existing industries. So Uber created this new ride-hailing market, mm -hmm. and at the same time, it wiped out taxis as we know it. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's both creation and kind of destruction, if you will. Um, so what I found was that the four key technologies, batteries, um, electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, ride-hailing, and solar energy. Um, so all of them are disruptive. When they converge, it's going to be super disruptive. So let's talk about uh, a previous disruption mm -hmm. so that we can go ahead. So let's go back to move forward. Um, of course, everybody has a smartphone. Most of us do. Now, the question is, why did both Apple and Google come up with the smartphone, iOS, and uh, um, Android mm -hmm. in 2007? Why not 2005 or 2009? I mean, we, we all adopted it, but you have to stop and pause and think about that. The reason it was 2007 is that that was the year when all the technologies that made a smartphone possible, mm -hmm. a $600 smartphone possible, converged. So that was the convergence of the smartphone. So the now, technology was there, but not necessarily uh, accessible to the masses, basically. It may not have been. So, in the, so we had lithium-ion batteries. Mm -hmm. We had computing. We had broadband and so on. But they were not, they didn't have the capability at a certain cost. Okay. Right? So essentially, they had to have the capability to enable a, a smartphone mm -hmm. at a $600 cost. Um, and that happened exactly 2007. So that was the year to get into that business. Mm -hmm. And that's why Google and Apple both came up with a smartphone. Now, because 2007 was the year of convergence, 30 companies could have done it. Nokia could have done it. Remember them? Oh, yeah. BlackBerry could have done Barely. it. Remember them? Right? Motorola could have done it. But the second lesson of convergence uh, or of disruption is that disruption usually happens from the outside. So neither Google nor Apple had ever built a phone before. Mm. And they're the ones who made the disruption happen. Right? And they're the ones who have become trillion dollar companies. So they had a whole new perspective, basically. They could see the trends that, that weren't necessarily, I guess you could say the other companies sort of had like tunnel vision. It's just the way we do things. That's the way it is. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, in uh, November, December of 2007, Nokia was on the cover of Forbes magazine. And the question was can anyone stop Nokia? Really? Right? <laughs> so if you're Nokia, 
you're doing everything right. Mm -hmm. You're doing why good. change? Yeah. Why change? Uh, can you blame them? No. Right? They have great cash flow, great uh, market share, and so on. And because of that, they don't see the disruption coming. And if they see a smartphone disruption coming, they're like, we can do that. Right? Whenever the market is asking for it, we can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, what they don't see is that when the market is there, it's too late. Yeah. You can't get in. So if you're not in when the disruption, when it converges, right, you need to be ahead of the curve. you're out, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's the smartphone disruption. And you know, at the time, folks said, who is going to buy a $600 you know, iPhone when you could buy that $100 Nokia yeah. or, or Motorola? Famous last words, right? <laughs> um, what they did not consider is that a smartphone is what I call a disruption from above. Hmm. Essentially, a smartphone is not just a cell phone. It does a thousand oh, things, yeah. mm -hmm. one of which is making a phone call. And most people don't even buy it for that. Yeah, right? I was going to say, that's like one of the least used uh, exactly. you know, features. So a disruption from above is when you start out with a superior product mm -hmm. that's also more expensive. But then as time goes by, it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. I mean, the technologies do. Um, and so, yeah, again, if you're not in, you're essentially out. And why is that? Why? What's helping them to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper? It's the... it's what I call technology cost curves. Mm -hmm. So every technology improves at a certain rate every year. Lithium ion has improved at about 16 to 18% per year for about 10 years. Uh, computing, Moore's law, has improved at 41% per year for decades uh, and so on. So uh, imaging uh, technologies have a cost curve, bandwidth and so on. Um, so. And that happens for many reasons. One is a uh, learning curve, for instance. I mean, the better you get at it, the quicker you produce them, mm -hmm. the better you produce them, and so on. A scale, the yeah. more you produce something, you can buy it in a cheaper way from the market, and so on. So there are many things that contribute to, to the cost curve, mm -hmm. um, but they're going at, at, at different rates, and, and that's what confuses folks. Yeah. So lithium-ion, say 16, 18%, computing 41%, um, you know, imaging 58% per year, right? Um, so the question is, when is it going to converge for your specific market? Because, you know, if I follow about 13 technologies, and mm -hmm. when they converge at different places and times, mm -hmm. they're going to disrupt essentially every industry in oh, the yeah. 2020s. Um, so that's how disruption's gonna work. Um, so, and, and that takes us to transportation. So what is the big deal about what's gonna happen in transportation? Well, one is right hailing. We know Uber, we know Lyft. I mean, Uber got started in 2009, and within um, seven years, they had more bookings than the whole taxi industry in America. What? That, that's insane. It is insane, right? Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of transportation analysts go like, oh, you can't have a disruption in transportation in seven years. Well, you're not looking at the evidence. Uber already disrupted taxis in seven years. Yeah. In eight years, um, Uber and Lyft were 20% of the vehicle miles traveled in cities like San Francisco and, and, and New York and so on. 
20% uh, from zero, right? Uh, uh, that's a disruption. So I ask myself, how do you go from 20% to 100% if that's going to happen, right? So you have ride hailing, which is incredibly disruptive. Mm -hmm. You have um, autonomous vehicles. And autonomous vehicles are disruptive for so many reasons, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I you know, don't necessarily want to go there, but uh, you know, one key figure, for instance, in trucking. Oh, uh, yeah, trucking. I think I heard uh, truck drivers, the number one job listed on tax returns or something. Job, well, I mean, think about, you know, from the... Um, the logistics company's perspective, right? Uh, they pay for trucking to ship something. Mm -hmm. um, more or less, the, the cost of shipping something, of trucking, is about a third labor, a third uh, fuel, mm -hmm. and a third everything else, right? The cost of the truck and maintenance mm -hmm. and whatever. Labor, fuel, uh, and, and the truck itself. So, you know, if you don't have a driver, <laughs> then a go. third of the cost of trucking goes away. Mm -hmm. uh, and then no fuel or and then, you different know, type of fuel, cheaper yeah, and, fuel? Well, you know, uh, when you have an, uh, an electric vehicle, the cost per mile mm -hmm. of charging or fueling is about 10 times cheaper for an electric vehicle. 10 times. 10 times, right? Uh, or, or so, it depends on the local market. I mean, recently, the University of Georgia, I think, bought 20 buses. And they said that the diesel buses cost them $90 per day to fuel, mm -hmm. and the electric bus, $10, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, this wow. is today. <clears throat> yeah. um, and so, you know, you have uh, autonomous technology, uh, you have, and also, you know, autonomous technology, not only do they cut the cost of, of labor, mm -hmm. human labor, uh, but also they drive better, they save lives, and yeah. there are innumerable kind of uh, uh, reasons why it is disruptive. And then you have EVs, of course, electric vehicles um, are 10 times cheaper to charge, 10 times cheaper to maintain, at least 10 times. Why? Because, you know, an EV has 20, a few dozen yeah. moving parts, but, you know, an internal combustion engine has 2,000, 3,000 moving parts. I remember when I first heard you say that when I was listening to one of your speeches, I blew my mind. I was like, wait, wait hold on a minute. It has how many? Is it 20, 20 or so moving 20, parts? I 20 mean, moving it's parts. It's hardly even a, a car, honestly. And it's magnetic. I mean, it's not like they're bumping against you know, one another uh, as in a gasoline car. Yeah, no transmission. Uh, no, I mean, in a gasoline car, you, you essentially have thousands of little explosions every second. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, that's yeah. what you have. Um, you don't have that in an EV. In, in 20 parts that, you know, that move but barely touch each other, what that means is that an electric vehicle lasts 500,000 miles, whereas, you know, an ICE, a gasoline vehicle, lasts 140, maybe 200, right? Meaning that an EV will last three times longer than uh, a gasoline vehicle. Now... We drive 10,000 miles per year as individuals, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if you look at a lifetime of 500,000, it takes 50 years, right, to drive an EV. 
Um, whereas it takes 12 years. We drive a gasoline vehicle 12 years. Who would want to drive a car for 50 years, right? Yeah. Yeah, unless you live in Cuba, right? Um, yeah. And then, and then you have to, right, kind of, kind of thing. But if you're a logistics company, if you're a fleet, if you're Uber, mm -hmm. if you're Amazon, then you drive your vehicle 100,000 miles a year. Oh, yeah. So for them, over five years, you would want you would need one EV or three gasoline cars. So it's a no-brainer. So it's a no-brainer. So from a fleet perspective, just the fact that an EV is you know, basically has three times the, the lifetime is worth it. So once the EV gets close to the cost of um, purchasing cost mm -hmm. uh, uh, of an ICE vehicle, then essentially it's over. They have to buy EVs. And that's why you have Amazon uh, placing an order of 100,000 vans. I was going to say, we're pretty much there right now. The purchasing cost is finally... Exactly. Be. We're there, right? I mean, just like I said in Clean Disruption, yeah. 2021 is the tipping point. <laughs> it's going to happen 2021. And if you look at what the purchase order from Amazon, they're shipping the, the, the vans 2021 to 2024, 100,000. Um, and, you know, Amazon is not a company known for being green, but they're known for making green. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, but for them, it makes sense, purely economic sense uh, to go EV, even without autonomous technology. Yes, yeah, so you can trust this isn't greenwashing and branding. This is economic decisions. Numbers, numbers, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, and there's any number of other reasons, one of which, for instance, is that a 200-mile EV mm -hmm. has enough... Uh, battery capacity for powering the average American home for two days. <laughs> Try that with your yeah, you know, no more generators, truck, right? Um, two full days you can power your home with your vehicle. I mean, uh, you know, in the mainstream narrative, they're like, how do we charge the car? Where the, 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 the real question is, how do we charge the house, <laughs> right, with the car? Because you can do both, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or how do you charge your office with your, uh, you know, electric truck or whatever? Um, so put together all of those reasons, EVs are disruptive, autonomous is disruptive, and ride-hailing, on-demand transportation. All Which is the, the business model innovation you mentioned earlier. Exactly. Uber, Lyft, and DD, and so on. Now, when you put it all together, on-demand, autonomous, and electric, is where you get the big convergence, the big disruption. Mm -hmm. Why? Um, so let's assume, for instance, that level four autonomous technology, uh, and just to qualify, level four is when you don't need a human driver, but it doesn't necessarily need to be everywhere. Uh, so you can be geofenced, meaning you can have a digital fence mm -hmm. around a city, right, Charlotte, Phoenix, San Francisco, and the car cannot drive outside. Okay, so it limits where the vehicle can travel. Yes, that's geofencing. But within that city, they can travel, <laughs> right? And then that's what Google, for instance, Waymo, is doing in, in Phoenix and Chandler. So we're there now. Uh, we we yeah. achieved level four autonomy. Well, um, maybe not legally, or, or I should say policy needs to catch up, but the technology is there. I mean, I've been in level four. Yeah. Vehicles. It's great. That's it's awesome. great. I mean, you know, uh, once I get into one, I'm like, yeah, it's over pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you know, this thing drives better than most people I know.
Yeah. Uh, so combine the three, on-demand, autonomous, and electric, what you get is what I call transportation as a service task. Um, the day that autonomous technology is approved and ready, uh, combine it with EVs and on-demand. So essentially imagine a, an Uber that's electric uh, and autonomous. The cost per mile of transportation goes down by 10 times, 10x. So we pay, as individuals, about a dollar mm-hmm. per mile for owning a car, right? So essentially over five years, we pay 50 grand, we drive 50,000 miles, that's about a dollar. Okay. Some people you know, drive a little more, a little less, could be 80 cents, but it's about that, right? One dollar. Um, when you combine the convergence, again, of autonomous electric and on-demand tasks, um, is going to mean that the cost of transportation is going to drop to about 10 cents. 10 cents. Um, so Can't compete. No. I mean, you know, I've looked at disruptions throughout history, technology disruptions, meaning for 10,000 years, literally. Um, and every single time, there's been a 10x cost differential, there's been a disruption. Every single time? Every single time. No exceptions. Wow. Um, now, so the, 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 so let's assume for a second, level four, 2021, um, a potential buyer of a car, here's the decision that they have to make. Do I want to um, spend $50,000 over the next five years buying and maintaining a car? Uh, or do I want to spend $100 a month in a subscription yeah. to transportation as a service. A mm-hmm. hundred bucks, like a Netflix, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a no-brainer, right? Seems like subscription-based models are eating up everything. They are. I mean, we've gone, as a society, over the last just 10 years or so, um, from ownership to access. So in the past, it was all about ownership. Mm-hmm. I want to own a car. Now, it's all about access. I don't want to own a car for yeah, five years. I don't years. need to. Why? Yeah. You don't need to. And you can have access to 10,000 cars, Uber and Lyft and so on. I mean, I've been in Tesla Model 3 and Model S and Model X in Uber and Lyft. How cool is that? Yeah. I don't own a car. I don't have to, right? Um, so essentially, that's the, 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 the question that they're going to ask themselves. And, you know, it's going to be a no-brainer. So uh, they're going to stop buying new cars, essentially. Mm-hmm you know, internal combustion engine automobiles. Car sales are gonna peak. And in fact, as you know, I, I projected that by 2020, that would be peak, you know, petrol cars, right? Yeah. Fossil fuel cars. And, uh, you know, of course, mainstream analysts said, you're insane, um, uh, China's growing, India's growing, everybody's growing. You know, we're gonna add another billion cars, right? That's gonna be two billion cars by 2040. Guess what? Didn't happen. In 2019, China sales were down of car, new cars. India were down considerably, uh, Europe and America. Wow. So I may have been off by about six months, right? Um, we'll give you that one. What's that? I said, we'll give you that one. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, basically we're looking at a peak. And what happens is that, um, and of course, it, it's not for one reason. It's for all these reasons. Um, so essentially... Um, people stop buying cars 
and only fleet managers buy cars in those markets with TAS. Right? Which is which is ironic because the genius behind Uber was that they didn't own any cars, and now it's almost seems like it's going to flip to where they own all the cars. Well, Uber itself doesn't own them, right? Okay. I mean, people own them, uh, but what I'm basically seeing, is especially with what Tesla's doing with the Tesla network, mm-hmm. uh, quite a few folks are buying cars to put it on the Tesla. Right, network. so it'll, it'll take you to work and then it can go out and Uber around for you, basically. Yeah, yeah, or, so you're or almost your you don't even use fleet. it. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's an investment. Hmm. I mean, you, you, know, you buy a $30,000, $40,000 EV and just make me money. Just let it go around. Just make me money, right? I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I mean, over five years, it can drive 500,000 uh, miles times 10 cents or 20 cents. That's your return. And Lyfts and Uber still don't have, they're just a platform. They still don't have to own all the... Uh... Not yet, but if you look at Uber and Lyft and so on, um, you know, they're pushing prices down, but costs are not going down. And, you know, that's why some of them are you know, bleeding cash. So when you have another network of electric vehicles coming into that market, you know, again, because they're cheaper to charge, no maintenance and so on, Uber and Lyft are gonna have to either go electric Mm -hmm. or go bust (laughs) because they can't compete with electric vehicles. And on top of that, if you add autonomous technology, then it's a no-brainer. They have to do it just for the same reason Amazon went electric, they have to do it for purely economic reasons. So um, let me interrupt you real quick. Yeah. One thing I've always kind of wondered about is like, how about the people that, you know, they like their car, they they want to choose their car, drive it around, and it's an, it's an expression of their personality. Do you think they just won't, I mean, just economically won't even be able to really compete? Do you think there'll be some novelty? What do you, what do you see on that? Any yeah. Any thought towards that? So my projection, um, given all the economics and so on, is that uh, in assuming 2021 is level four uh, uh, approval and, and, and so on, mm-hmm. that within 10 years, essentially by 2030 or so, 95% of miles in America will be autonomous, electric, and on-demand. Now, that doesn't mean 95% of vehicles, Okay. right? So 60% of vehicles are going to be TAS, and the other 40% individually owned. But because a TAS vehicle drives 100,000 miles per year, right? they contribute 95% of the miles. Individuals, 40%, but they only contribute 10,000 miles a year or so. So pretty much like we still have horses, but they're just not being used for transportation. Exactly, right? Um, So you have, you know, you're going to have the very wealthy. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Yeah, Um, I want my Lamborghini regardless. Exactly, right? and then I actually you, asked an NFL player, uh, he was talking about Teslas, and he chose a Maserati. And I said, why did you go with the Maserati when you could have had the P100D? And he was yeah. like, it was the engine, man. I wanted the engine. Yeah, he wants the roar of that mm-hmm. engine. Uh, he didn't know that you can download <laughs> the roar, right? Uh, and it's I a lot cheaper than $100,000 awesome. on top of the, you know, <laughs> the, the Tesla. It's just uh, a computer at this point, huh? Yeah, yeah, it, it's a computer. It's a computer on wheels. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, but, but some people are not going to care. Uh, and then you have rural areas where, uh, I mean, if you look at TAS, uh, it's going to start in high-density kind of areas, higher right. density, and then it's going to radiate out. Um, and, you know, you're going to find some rural areas where it's going to take a, a while yeah. uh, for TAS to radiate out. And even then, 
um, that we're going to have a, basically at some point to subsidize basically rural tasks mm -hmm. and because the, the critical mass of vehicles and so on is not going to be there. Uh, so we're going to find ourselves in a situation where folks who make less money than city folks mm -hmm. are going to pay more for transportation. And that's not fair, right? So what I think is going to happen is that um, what we did in the past with electricity and the postal system um, and, and, and water and so on, where, you know, electricity, you know, electric power didn't really make sense from a purely economic basis in a lot of rural areas, mm -hmm. but we did it anyway because, you know, we believed in, in equity, in access, that every American should have access to the postal service, to, uh, you know, water, clean water, uh, and so on and so on, electricity and other infrastructures, mm -hmm. right? So I think that that's what we're going to need to do. Uh, and public Just kind of get everybody on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Public transportation agencies are going to have to uh, essentially go from managing assets, buses and so on, to managing task companies, hmm. right? And so as a society, we're going to subsidize access for those who are not necessarily in the, you know, the, the, the high-density areas and so on. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, some people are not going to want to sell their cars. But here's the thing. Transportation as a service is going to be even cheaper by up to four times than just operating a car. Wow. So... You know, if your uncle gives you a car for free, mm -hmm. um, the cost of gasoline... So not even and, purchasing a car, just operating no, no, it, just free, driving it around. Just, right, just mm -hmm. driving it is going to be uh, two to four times more expensive than tasks. So you may not sell it right away, but eventually you will, right? <laughs> um, and the other thing that's going to happen is that um, you know, autonomous technology is getting better and better and better every you know, every moment, yeah. uh, every car, every Tesla Model 3 that's out there is contributing to the to their AI. Fleet so, learning, I think they call it, right? Yeah, I mean, um, so, it, 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 you know, I figure that it's going to improve at least at 40% per year, which is, you know, more slow. And Tesla's just using cameras, not LiDAR, right? No, they're not using LiDARs. Uh, they're impressive. using cameras and sonars and so on. Um, but, you know, I mean, they, they, they say that, look, humans drive without LiDAR. Yeah. Why would a car need it, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there are big advantages to LiDAR, but to get to level four, you don't necessarily don't need, need LiDAR, yeah. right? Um, so, um, you know, basically, according to Tesla data, Tesla cars with autopilot are already eight times safer than the average human-driven car in America, already. Um, now, what this data includes and so on, well, it's eight times. Um, but even if it's just two or three, it's going to improve by at least two X every year or two, mm -hmm. right? So at some point, um, it's going to be 10 X and 100 X better than a human driver. And at that point, insurance yeah. <laughs> for human drivers is going to go through the roof. It's uh, making it legal for you to drive. <laughs> at some point, it will be, right? <laughs> but wild. in the beginning, the cost of insurance is going to drive people out of, uh, no pun intended, 
uh, essentially cab, <laughs> driving cars and buses and trucks and, and, and whatnot. Um, so this is the transportation disruption. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, it's the convergence of these three technologies, on-demand, autonomous, and electric. Um, and it's going to happen for purely economic reasons because it's going to be 10x cheaper than owning a car. And it's going to happen like... You know, most disruptions these days, very quickly. Blink of an eye almost. Blink of an eye. I mean, I remember Netflix was mailing DVDs. You know, now some kids have never even used a DVD. Yeah, they don't know what it is, or a typewriter, or a cassette, and so on, right? Um, And those went basically in the blink of an eye. Um, So, and the implications are astonishing. Implications of this disruption. So, uh, for instance, um, we park our cars about 96% of the time. Yeah, that was another one that when I first heard you say that, I was mind blown. I just never really put any thought to it, but I was kind of like, I guess he's right. Most people yeah. aren't, they don't want to be driving around all day. We just get used to it, uh, right? And we think this is the way it is. Uh, so essentially, we pay 50 grand for a car over five years to use it only 4% of the time, right? Uh, that's a disruption waiting to happen, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, so a transportation as a service vehicle is going to be used 40, 50, 60% of the time. Um, in fact, trucks already are being used 50, and you know, with autonomous technology, they may well be used 80 mm-hmm. or 90%. Now, going back to cars, um, you know, essentially when you have no more individual ownership of cars, we don't need to park them. Um, a lot of our cities are about a third of the landmass parking of LA, of Houston, uh, um, Dallas and so on. And now imagine that about 80% of these cars, of these parking spaces, mm-hmm. gone. And so not only are you saving from the like emissions that are no longer there, but also I guess the urban heat island effect will be pretty much mitigated, huh? Well, or drastically reduced. A third of the landmass of cities is going to open up. So the real question is, what do we want our cities? to be. Mm-hmm. So we essentially inherited our cities. Uh, they, they basically have been growing this way for 100 years. Um, what would we want from our cities if we could redesign them? Yeah. Because that's actually what we're going to do. Do we want more businesses? Check. Do we want green spaces? Check. Affordable housing? Check. I mean, you know, we're going to have a lot of space that's going to be freed up so that we can redesign our cities. Um, and you know, so I see a construction boom coming because of, of the redesign of, of our cities and whatever. You know, Los Angeles, for instance, when you do the numbers on parking, uh, 80% freed up, you can put three whole cities the size of San Francisco. <laughs> three whole cities. So essentially, L.A. is going to have to decide, L.A. and every city, right? Mm-hmm. Charlotte and, and, and Houston and, uh, and so on. Um, uh, you know, do we want a little desert in the middle of the city and so on? Or do we want to build the wealth of a city like San Francisco and so on? Um, and that's going to be a major implication. Um, and, and emissions are going to go down by 90%. That's- 90%. Just that's insane. Going from individually owned gasoline cars, and this is going to happen quickly. This isn't ninety percent over the next hundred years. This is happening quickly, ten, fifteen years, and we're gonna get money back. <laughs> so it's not gonna cost us. We're gonna get fifty-six hundred dollars per person per person who owns a car back. 
<laughs> and emissions are going to go down by 90%. How cool is that? That's awesome. And it's going to happen for purely economic reasons. Uh, I'll take it. So let's talk quickly about, I guess, you know, the, one of the major arguments is, oh, yeah, but it doesn't matter if you have an electric vehicle if you're charging it from coal, right? So what, what's, what's going on with that? So, uh, again, uh, there's a 90% decrease in emissions, even if you essentially leave the grid as is, which hmm. we know the grid is being disrupted by solar and wind and batteries, right? Hmm. That's the, uh, you know, electric energy disruption. Um, but even if you leave it alone, 90% decrease in emissions, because for many reasons. One is that you use one car over five years instead of three, right, to drive 500,000 miles. Uh, electric motors are up to five times more efficient. Mm -hmm. If all you do is one thing to contribute, actually to contribute to less emissions, is going to an EV. Right? A lot of folks talk about solar and, and wind and so on, and that contributes. That's a huge thing. Right. But going to an EV, because they're so efficient, I mean, the, the, the electric motor is 90 plus percent efficient mm -hmm. in terms of energy, the internal combustion engine, 17%. So just because of that, and also because you know, EVs are going to last 500,000, Tesla is talking about the million mile EV, right? So just because of that, emissions are going to go down 90%. Uh, so the mistake that a lot of folks are making uh, is that all else being equal, yeah. right? They, they assume that, you know, it's going to be all individually owned EVs and, and assume that they're going to last only 140,000 miles and so on. That's not going to happen because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. So there's two questions I have to ask you before I let you go. Yeah. So the first one is, it sounds like Elon Musk thinks that, he predicts that we're going to have way more vehicles on the road. It sounds like you would probably lean towards we're going to have less vehicles because each vehicle will be doing more work. Yes. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay, so yeah, you, yeah. You, just, you just, I mean, I'm not even sure what his, I think he's just saying that they'll be so cheap that it'll make more sense instead of using a train or a plane, you just put them in a car. Do you think that will contribute to more vehicles or do you still lean towards we'll probably have less vehicles? So what, what, what happens with disruptions is that the metrics might change, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, we went from, for instance, uh, music, used to buy a CD or, or, or whatever, and videos, you, you would buy a DVD. Now it's all about streaming, right? So the metrics change. It's, it, it's, it's not just that, um, you know, it's a different technology. The metrics by which you measure and the metrics by which you make money mm -hmm. change, right? So instead of units of record, or a DVD or a CD, now it's all about streaming, right? Uh, YouTube or, or whatever. Um, and the same thing is gonna happen with transportation. So it, we're, we're going from a model of essentially pushing steel, right? Pushing cars mm -hmm. to one uh, where the metric is gonna be cost per mile or price per mile. So it's gonna be on a per mile basis. So what is gonna happen? Because transport as a service is gonna be so cheap, is that the number of miles is gonna go up, way up. Mm -hmm. And you know, basically in my estimate, it's gonna go up by about 50% by 2030. It may go up a little more, um, but of course- it's, By 2030. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's gonna go up by, by, by 50% because it's gonna give access to a lot of folks who don't have access to great transportation today. Mm -hmm. uh, so we talk about owning a car, but 
a lot of people don't own a car, uh, and also our transportation, uh, public transport system is not that great, except in a couple of cities, right? Um, so when we give cheap, convenient access to transportation, usage is going to go up. Uh, so yeah, uh, miles are going to go up, but units, mm -hmm. cars yeah. are going to go down. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, and the last one, I just can't let you get out of here without diving into this. So basically, you're predicting 100% or, or pretty much globally solar powered by 2030. That's something that I, I heard you say blew my mind and anybody I'd mention it to just says I'm crazy and I'm, I'm like, hey, I'm just, you know, regurgitating from the experts here. So maybe dive into that a little bit. Yeah, so think about the following. Um, solar power utility scale, large scale solar uh, today, no subsidies, is already cheaper than natural gas, hmm. coal, nukes, anything. Right, right now. Right now, right? 2020, it's already cheaper. Even when you add solar plus batteries for hours of storage. Which we already said that the cars can become the batteries. Batteries can, not uh, on the utility scale though, right? Okay. I mean, you're gonna have big batteries like. But essentially it's almost like a peaker plant? No, 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 no. four hours if you have you know, this solar plant for four hours, that solar plant four hours, and, uh, and the number of hours is gonna increase, right? Four hours is what we have today, but as the cost of batteries decreases, you're gonna have six and eight and so on. Okay. Uh, so you're gonna have wind, you're gonna have solar, and wind is in the same kind of cost, right? So wind is also cheaper than gas and nukes and so on. Um, there's more, right? Um, the total cost of solar today is below the marginal, the operating cost of gas, of coal, of nukes. Totally, you mean installation and operation? Everything. You install solar, you operate solar, mm -hmm. you maintain solar. All of those costs together are cheaper than just the cost of burning gas, right? If you take out the in maintaining the plant and whatever. So, you know, take out the cost of the plant itself, mm -hmm. uh, it's still cheaper, solar is. Um, so essentially, from here on end, this is what happens. Um, anywhere there is solar, it puts essentially a cap on what the rates of other power plants can charge, right? Okay. At least for the penetration. So if solar has a 20% penetration, the first 20% goes to solar, right, in any auction mm -hmm. because it's the cheapest. Um, and then everybody else divvies up the, the, the rest. Uh, no conventional source of electricity can be built economically. Yeah, so Starting, just like you said with the, the EVs it. forcing the uh, ride-sharing platforms to, to go electric because they, they can't compete to. without it. They have to. So the only reason so essentially every new build from here on end is gonna be solar or wind, right? Or a combination. That's exciting. Um, from here on end. And then the existing plants have to go bankrupt. <laughs> and the only reason they don't go bankrupt is because of government regulation and protection and so on, right? Mm -hmm. But in a purely free market for electricity, they would all go bankrupt, right? And, and, and only solar and wind would would get built. So and it's only a matter of time, really? It's only a matter of time. I mean, when exactly it's going to happen depends on regulation and depends on, you know, investments and so on. Mm -hmm. But from a purely economic basis, essentially it has to happen and it has to happen soon.
That's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. It's um, my pleasure. Let's see, rethinkx.com is yes. where people can go to read some reports, uh, learn more about this. There's tons of your keynotes on YouTube. Yes. Anything else you'd like to share? Um, that's good. Clean disruption on Amazon. Um, yeah, the, 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 my latest report on the disruption of the cow. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. We'll Food and to, agriculture. I'll that's follow a, up with you later. Maybe exactly. we'll do another episode. That's another episode. But, uh, and, you know, all of these disruptions are enabling one another, mm -hmm. right? So the disruption of transportation is enabling the disruption of energy. Uh, and then AI is, is, is enabling the disruption of the cow and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's all connected. Uh, so, you know, the fact that we talk about them separately, mm -hmm. it's just that we are just talking about it. Uh, these are just artificial boundaries, right? Right. But it's all connected and pretty much everything will be disrupted. In yeah. The, in I mean, the cheap renewables, you know, allow children in developing nations to get access to the Internet and then they have access to the AI and then it just keeps going around and around. Huh? And access to water, which, you know, desalination is essentially the cost of electricity or yeah. most of it is access to healthcare, access to education uh, and so on and so forth right and so they get educated they they're healthier and, you know iq grows basically through the roof because of that you know health uh, affects iq and 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 you know contamination affects iq and um, you know not eating of course affects iq so when you have all of these needs energy transportation food and so on met in a very cheap and high quality way um, then essentially yeah you have billions of people around the world with access to the basics of life education energy transport and food and so on for very cheap right and that can only grow jobs and wealth and health and and so on and so forth and you know i'm, I'm very confident that the 2030s you know, once these disruptions play out, 2030s are going to be amazing because yeah. of that. So yeah. do you think we'll reach a net positive, kind of like where our infrastructure has a positive impact on the planet, a so, net positive world? So I'll close with this, right, uh, from the disruption of food and agriculture, uh, which starts with um, animal farming, right? Uh, when cows and chicken and pigs and so on are disrupted just in America, that's going to free up a landmass the size of the Louisiana Purchase, right? The size of the Louisiana. So I need to get into real estate is what you're saying? Uh, well, maybe not because the, 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 the value of, of, of farmland is going to drop, mm -hmm. right? So the, 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 a landmass the size of the Louisiana Purchase means um, basically that that industry is going to go from very negative, and then so we're going to have to choose. We're going to have to choose, right? Uh, what do we do with all that land? Uh, are you going to pave over it, or are we going to forest it, right? If we reforest, even 10%, we go, that industry flips to net positive. If we reforest everything, which we're probably not going to do, essentially all of the U.S. flips to net positive, uh, even not including the disruption of transport and energy, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think that at some point, because we're going to use so few resources, uh, yeah, we're going to flip to net positive, absolutely. It's yeah. going to be an exciting decade. It will be. Hey, it thanks be. again for your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you.
Well, I want to thank everybody for attending. Hopefully, we got the sound thing squared away. And uh, it's that fellow's thinking is pretty interesting, but it makes sense. So hopefully, we'll we'll see some of these things happen, and uh, cheaper and autonomous vehicles will come to be. So now I'll have Arlene give the CEU ending code. The CEU ending code is A Alpha C Charles 5 C Charles 3. Repeating A Alpha C Charles 5 C. Charles, three. Well, we thank you for attending, and hopefully you'll join us this afternoon for the Amazon presentation by Peter Korn. <laughs>